Hello and welcome to this episode of Tech Personal Finance. I'm your host, Mike Troxell. It is still tax filing season, and today we're going to cover some last-minute tax moves plus a few common tax misconceptions. I know your time is valuable, so we're going to get right into it. To start, most tax-related items are specific to that calendar year. So at the time of this recording, it's the first quarter of 2023, so the tax year is behind us, and we're filing our 2022 tax returns. Typically, anything related to your 2022 filing takes place between January 1 and December 31st of the prior year. But there are still two last-minute items that you could potentially take advantage of. The first one is related to your IRAs. If you're eligible and you or your spouse have earned income, you could potentially put money into an IRA. We'll start with Roth IRAs, though they're a little less common for our audience as they have clear-cut income limits, which for 2022 was $129,000 if you file a single return and $204,000 if you file a married filing joint return. Roth IRAs, as you probably know, are amazing wealth-building tools. They do not impact your current year tax results. On the other hand, it can really have a positive impact on your tax situation down the line. As many of you know, Roth accounts allow you to start growing your investments tax-free, so they appreciate tax-free, trades, gains, dividends, all that stuff. It does not create tax bills. And after any appreciation down the line, when you're eligible, the withdrawals come out tax-free. The deadline to contribute to IRAs or Roth IRAs is April 18th, 2023, but usually any given year, it's around April 15th. For traditional IRAs, almost anybody can contribute to them, but the kicker is whether you're able to deduct the contribution or not. If you contribute and do not get a deduction, that could still be beneficial for the long term, but it will not affect your current tax results. One consideration if you're not able to deduct the contribution is to consider a backdoor Roth IRA. For brevity purposes, we will not cover a backdoor Roth IRA in this episode. If you contribute to a traditional IRA and do get a deduction, that will usually save you a portion of what you're able to deduct. As an example, if you contribute $5,000 into a traditional IRA and you're able to deduct it, and you're in the 20% tax bracket, so again, if it's a $5,000 contribution and you're in the 20% tax bracket and you can deduct it, you're typically going to save 20% of that contribution. So again, $5,000, 20%, so you'll get maybe get $1,000 back. The contribution limits for 2022 were $6,000, or there's a bonus or catch-up contribution if you're over the age of 50, which is $7,000. The next item is an HSA or a health savings account, not to be confused with an FSA or a flexible spending account. An HSA is less broadly applicable compared to IRAs since you need to have a specific health plan called a High Deductible Health Plan, or HDHP, in order to have an HSA. So to be eligible to contribute to one, you would have to have been enrolled in a High Deductible Health Plan for the prior year. The contribution limits for 2022 were 3650 if you had single coverage, and double that, 7300 if you had a family plan. 
And keep in mind, these contribution limits include any employer contributions. So many times employers will contribute, say, $1,000 into the HSA. In that case, you would subtract 1000 for your max contribution. So if a family plan, if the maximum contribution is 7300 and your employer put in 1000 then that means the max you could put in is 6300 And to figure out your max contribution, it also matters how long you were enrolled in your high-deductible health plan. For example, if you had a qualifying event and you were only enrolled in it for six months, the amount you can put in is cut in half. HSAs can be wonderful, and they are called a triple tax advantage account. And not everybody uses them like this, but if you were to, it's the only type of investment where it's tax-free going in when you get a deduction. It's tax-free on the growth if you invested it. And then it's tax-free upon withdrawal as long as you're using the funds for past medical expenses. And as a quick comparison to a traditional IRA or 401k, it starts out the same, like an HSA, right? They both go in tax-free generally. They both grow tax-free. And then upon withdrawal, an IRA or 401k, you are then taxed. But an HSA, as long as you're reimbursing yourself for past medical expenses, it comes out tax-free. Similar to the IRAs, the deadline to contribute to HSAs is April 18th, 2023. But again, usually it's around April 15th of any given year. Next, we're going to talk about a few tax misconceptions. One we talked a little bit about in the last episode is tax buckets versus tax brackets. Many people think just because they're in a certain tax bracket that all of their income is taxed at that percentage. For example, if you tell someone they're in the 32% tax bracket, they might assume that all of their income is taxed at 32%. Like we covered in the last episode, it's more of a bucket system than a bracket system. Meaning, as your income goes up, your income fills up these different buckets, and each of these buckets has their own tax rate. So you're starting out in the 10% bucket, and when that's filled up, you move to the 12% bucket, and then the 22% bracket, and you move on down the line as your income grows. Another common tax misconception is around employee bonuses and withholding. A lot of times we conflate withholding rates versus tax rates. Sticking with the 32% theme, if you've received a $1,000 bonus and you're in the 32% bracket, the tax related to that bonus is going to be 32% or $320, regardless of the withholding rate. It does not matter if 10% got withheld, if 70% got withheld, or zero got withheld. The tax rate is 32%. So at the end of the year, when you're filing your taxes and it all shakes out, that is the tax. In a perfect world, if your income was perfectly withheld all year long and you expect to get a zero dollar, you know, zero refund and owe zero dollars in taxes, and then at the last second on December 31st, you get an unexpected $1,000 bonus. Well, if it was withheld at less than 32%, then now you're going to owe a little bit of money when you file. And if it was withheld at over 32%, you'll get a little bit of a refund. Keep in mind, this is just an example, and bonuses are almost always withheld at 22% for federal income tax purposes. Meanwhile, 
the top federal tax rate is 37%. So for somebody in the 37% bracket who gets a bonus, it's probably going to be under withheld at 22%, and that would create a little bit of a tax liability. The next misconception we see relates to the tech community and is around RSUs or restricted stock units. If you have RSUs invest today, sometimes you hear, I need to hold it for over a year so I can get long-term capital gains treatment. Well, that's not necessarily true. Given that if you buy a stock today and you sell it five minutes later on the same day, there's essentially no gain, right? Or usually there's almost no gain, maybe a couple pennies here or there. So if there's a small gain or loss, it's essentially no gain, right? It's essentially a wash. And so whether that zero gain is short-term or long-term, it doesn't really matter if it's a very, very small amount. With newly vested RSUs, there is no incentive to hold it long-term. However, if you do start to hold it for a little while and it is appreciating in value quite a bit, then you're totally right. There is a difference. So if you had a choice to sell a stock at a large gain after 365 days, or before 365 days, all else equal, we would certainly pick the greater than 365 days in order to qualify for long-term status. Absolutely. But the mechanics of RSUs are the same exact thing as you logging into your brokerage account and buying shares of something today. If you buy something right now, as you're listening to this, there is no advantage and there's no disadvantage if you wanted to sell it one minute later versus down the road, unless there was a lot of appreciation. The last tax misconception is around AMT. And we're not going to get into all of the specifics of AMT right now. However, AMT is spoken about as if it's some scary monster. And it's not necessarily the case. It can be bad and it can be quite a surprise, but in a lot of situations, it's not that bad. For example, if somebody pays $1,000 of AMT tax in a certain year, the following year in a very normal situation, nothing out of the ordinary, they're likely going to get that $1,000 back as a credit in the following year's tax return. So paying AMT is not a big scary monster and getting into AMT is not the end of the world. It's usually not that big of a deal. However, if there is a very large AMT bill, especially an unexpected one, yes, that can certainly cause problems. Again, you know, going $1 into AMT or $100 or $1,000, it's not that big of a deal. And usually there's nothing to worry about. If you would like to learn a little bit more about AMT, you can head over to our blog. And that link is modernfp.com slash blog slash AMT. As always, I hope you found this episode helpful. If you have any questions, please reach out. You can find any links or notes or resources to this episode at techpersonalfinancepod.com or TPF for Tech Personal Finance, tpfpodcast.com.